when I did couples therapy for years, the most common complaint that I would hear is the, the feeling that they had been tricked, like that person tricked me. They said they were going to be like this. They said they were like mm. this. They acted like this and they changed. So on that note, you know, I think it's important that we really be willing to see what's what's really there because we are so prone to kind of have this fantasy in our minds and expect them to live up to that. Some people go into relationships expecting someone to change, but it would be better if you expected to never change because that might be more accurate. Welcome back to the North Star Podcast. I can't wait to share with you guys today's guest. Her name is Julie Nelson. She's the author of Self-Care in Relationships, Using Your Brain to Guide Your Heart. She's also counseled relationships over her years. She's now working in elder care. I feel like she's just such a well-rounded, emotionally in tool soul. So I cannot, as I said, I can't wait to share her wisdom with you guys. In this episode, we really do focus on relationships, but whether or not you are in a romantic relationship or you're concerned about your romantic relationship or not, we also apply it to platonic relationships and we all have those in our lives. And so I think that this episode will really apply to all of us, or that's to say it will provide wisdom that all of us can ingest, take home, and apply to our own lives. Because, you know, it's just, it's so easy. I find, at least I'll speak from personal experience, it's so easy to, you know, just take what is in front of us and I mean that in terms of friends I mean that in terms of boyfriends girlfriends what have you whatever you're into and not be discerning right like I guess this really depends on your patterning and how you grew up of course but so many of us you know love relationship we love to be in it we feel like we thrive in relationships and I am as I said, I'll speak from experience, I'm certainly one of those people. Unfortunately, in the past, what that's meant is that I've accepted people who have not served me at all. And, you know, actually, with respect to both platonic and romantic relationships, and it's, they, you know, they've been detrimental. And I'm not one of those people who really believes in regret. I truly believe that everything in our lives that unfolds um, you know, it's doing so for a reason. I think that we're, you know, the reason that we're on this planet, the reason our souls have incarnated into our bodies is so that we, we learn lessons, right? If we were perfect, if we knew everything, we would, we wouldn't be here. Um, but that said, you know, moving forward in life, like we can invite in healthier relationships, which we are also deserving of. And so in this episode, Julie really lays out how to, how to really understand if somebody is good for us or not. And by that, I mean, if they're healthy for us or not. So really stay tuned for that. Her insight here is, is great. There's, um, it's just something I wish I'd, I'd known when I was younger, you know, and we talk about things like boundaries, building self-love, which is really a cornerstone to healthy relationships because, of course, 
you know, without self-love, and I would say from my own personal experience, like when I really invited in, um, you know, previous romantic relationships, uh, especially in university, I would say, oh gosh, um, when they didn't serve me when I was inviting that in, it was because I didn't have the greatest amount of self-love. Like, you know, I thought I liked myself, but in retrospect, looking back, you know, I was doing okay, but I was kind of just surviving. Also, my friends were, you know, they just like weren't as aligned as the ones that I have now. And again, like all this to say, it's like, there's so much compassion that I show my younger self and, and I truly am grateful for the lessons, but moving forward in life, and hopefully this is the same for you, moving forward in life, it's about opening up and expanding and inviting in beautiful kindred spirits to our lives that will help us and be there for us and support us and love us and, you know, assist in whatever way we need or desire to really be in alignment with our North Star, with like our raison d'etre, however you want to call it. Um, and what I've personally experienced is that when we have these beautiful, you know, earth angels in our lives, they really do that. And as somebody who's like really flip-flopped, I feel between being like an anxious attachment and then an avoidant attachment, like the avoidant attachment part of me is like, oh gosh, you don't need anyone. But no, we do. We do. <laughs> we are. And, you know, because there's like a, a weird programming that like, if you say you need people in your life, like you're not weak, you're not independent. And I just call bullshit on that. Honestly, I'm sorry, but yes because at the end of the day like we are meant to be in relationship with others like we're not meant to be islands we learn so much about ourselves when we're in relationships with others like our relationships are our greatest mirrors the deeper the relationship the clearer the mirror i would say or at least the mirror becomes clearer at least when it's over if you're in one of those ones that's a little manipulative um and yeah, so, <laughs> okay. I felt like I was about to go on another tangent there with respect to manipulation because we kind of do touch in on that subject here and there throughout this podcast, but I will let the podcast speak for itself. So I'm going to close this down, this little intro, and just say once again that I'm so delighted that I had the opportunity to speak with Julie. I hope that this provides you with Again, just so much wisdom, so much support on your journey in relationship with others, with spirit, and with yourself. Okay, let's see you on the other side. Currently working as a clinical psychologist in a hospital in a rehabilitation setting and end-of-life care, so I mostly... Um, work in geriatric psychology right now but previous to that I did a lot of couples therapy for many years and before that I was a high school teacher um, and um, that's where I kind of got really interested in um, thinking that we need more education about um, self-care relationship choices managing our uh, thoughts and especially in this age where there's so much information 
that people have to process much more than when I was a child and much more than when my parents were a child. Um, just a lot of information come in, coming in, but not, um, I don't think we're teaching people strategies for how to manage um, thoughts and how to think about um, relationships and interacting with other people. It just seems to be, um, even back then, I thought there really needed to be a lot more taught about that. And that was before all the big, you know, problems with bullying were rampant. So, Wow, yes. You, you were thinking that there needed to be more information uh, even when you were younger, well, like when you were going through school yourself, or you just mean earlier in your career? Um, when I was a teacher is when I noticed it. So that would have been uh, the early 90s, late mm -hmm. 80s, early 90s. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I can, I can only imagine. And so it was at that point that you got the inspiration to dive into the work that you do now. Yeah, I just, um, as a teacher, I asked if we could teach more about that. And there was quite a bit of pushback at that time. And then 20 years later, uh, I was riding the car and I listened to a, a radio show on NPR and they were talking about teaching that kind of thing in the schools because of bullying. And I was like, yes, I've been saying that for a long time. <laughs> oh, wow. We just, we just aren't taught how to um, communicate in effective ways. It's just not taught. Yeah, you're definitely right about that. And I, I mean, I would assume and i can only assume because i don't know 100 percent, but i can only assume that it's way worse now given the fact that i mean technology as much as it you know somewhat connects us also i just i wonder if there's more social anxiety and things like that you know given we're just on tech all the time and like do do kids these days again i don't know and maybe you know do they feel comfortable just striking up a conversation in person? And I, I, again, I just, I really think that this is even more challenging and probably even more so after the pandemic that we are kind of, well, hopefully getting through at this point in time. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, um, I think that's right. Uh, I mean, I, I've seen it in some of the younger people I interact with uh, when I, uh, that were, when they started to go to college, um, they were uncomfortable going in person to talk to people, um, you know, but then I think once they went after the, the few I talked to said they got more comfortable when they were kind of forced to do it, you know, whereas when I was a kid, we were outside in person relating and playing constantly. It just wasn't over. Um, you know, the phone or the internet at all, so. Yeah, and when you were, you know, a younger person yourself, there was probably still at that point bullying going on. I mean, that doesn't, it's not really something that's new, but what are the ways in which you've seen it crop up, you know, in different ways that are maybe harder to detect or even just more, I don't know, more painful or for the current generation? Like, how are you seeing it? Well, of course, they have more access. You have more access to each other um, on social media. I think that's the big thing. Like, um, you know, in our schools, there might be one or two or three people that were known to kind of pick on people sometimes. And it was pretty easy to steer clear of that. 
Um, plus, there was um, kind of a global message to them more. Um, I mean, I think the community was aware and supportive and it was just smaller. It, it was manageable, I guess is what mm -hmm. I'm kind of saying. Yeah. It felt manageable. Um, but, but at another level in Western society, I mean, when you look at what blocks communication and what constitutes verbal and emotional abuse, the top five are anger, blame, criticism, denial, and um, judging, judgment. And those things are pretty rampant in the way we communicate with each other. Um, you know, it's, you see that all the time. Yeah, that's true. Advice giving, that's on the list too, giving advice. Oh yeah. Oh, just like unsolicited advice and that's mm -hmm, because yeah. you have to make a judgment before you do that. You have to assume that they aren't running their life correctly or whatever. And, mm -hmm. and that's an overpowering thought and statement. And just not yeah. a lot of mutuality. Uh, um, that, that's really true. And that's, I actually, yeah, that last one there, I find rather irritating. <laughs> I mean, it's probably <laughs> the most. And it's also comes off, um, I don't know, it almost feels as if people can, uh, manipulate that one like oh I'm just trying to be helpful or and mm -hmm. I think that brings it back to what you were saying which is that like we don't have the education on this so that might even not be from a malicious um, point it, like they may not trying may not be trying to be malicious but it's almost just like mm -hmm. a lack of knowledge in a way yeah and you bring up two things there that I would love to highlight is one is um, listen to your feelings when you feel knocked off balance or criticized or uncomfortable, your feelings let you know. And then you can go to that list um, that's in my book. It's also in um, uh, Patricia Evans' Guide to uh, Surviving um, Verbal Abuse. It's in her book too. But you know, this list of things that when they happen, they cause you to feel uncomfortable and your, your feelings will guide you mm. when, when something like that happens. And the other thing is attitude does play a role. I mean, um, when you talk about people who meet their needs by overpowering others um, uh, versus the people who are mutualistic, I'll help you, you help me, um, they, uh, attitude plays a role. Like if their intention is uh, an attitude of goodwill, involves an attitude of goodwill, you know, that, that feels less abusive, you know? yeah. but it's still abusive. So yeah, it still yeah. blocks communication. Mm -hmm. it, it certainly does. So how do you, how do you begin to, I mean, your book is fantastic. You outline so many key parts that can like just key things to keep in mind, I would say to, mm -hmm create healthy relationships and the title of her book for everyone is self-care in relationships using your brain to guide your heart just because we haven't said it yet um, <laughs> and can you just give us like a brief rundown of I, I don't know how brief you can be but a brief rundown of these um, things that we should look for in order to foster you know healthy communication and then I definitely want to highlight as you and I had talked about like this conversation around discernment because I think that that's so crucial. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so 
really, I think the number one thing that stands out to me is take time to get to know yourself and what your preferences are. Um, hang on one second, dear. Hang on. Yeah. Sorry, there was background noise that was um, very distracting to me. <laughs> no worries. Okay, so I think it's important um, to take the time to get to know yourself. And um, that's why, I mean, this book is a little bit of a workbook because it, everybody's different. You know, it would be so easy if I could give a list or a guide um, of what works for everyone. But people are different. They have different values. They have different preferences in their relationships and their partners that they, uh, that would work for them. And so it's, it's like, you got to know what you're looking for, um, and what you want and know yourself. And then that helps you decide what's a good, a good fit for you. Um, there are some things that, you know, are likely, uh, not a healthy fit for, uh, that, you know, would, wouldn't be a healthy fit for anyone, like trying to be partners with someone like maybe with a, an active addiction or, uh, you know, someone who is uh, very overpowering and controlling, you know, that would be difficult um, to work in any relationship. But there are a lot of preferences that, um, that are different for people. So I, I would say the number one thing is knowing yourself and what you want. And the number two thing is having a self-care plan in place um, all the time before you're in a relationship. Um, so, because when you get into a relationship, you're going to have to work that self-care plan more, not less. Um, yeah, well, absolutely. That's, that's a really beautiful point there too. Um, I know before we were also talking about, you know, bullying in schools too. So I just want to say, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this, these, you know, these questions that you can run through with yourself or these reflections you can have um, can be used absolutely in platonic relationships as well. So whether you are a student or, you know, somebody looking for new friends or looking at your friendships too and discerning whether they're right for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. And co-workers, friendships, um, you know, ultimately we're responsible for choosing um, and creating the life that we love and making choices that um, support that. And that's in the workplace and with friendships, with family, um, you know, and with partners for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And what do you usually see as being, because um, it all seems rather straightforward. And I guess part one is disseminating this information but then part two would be having people really implement it into their lives yeah and of course a huge part of implementation no matter really what let's say good habit we're trying to bring into our lives can be something more emotional or just in you know parts of our growth might not quite be there and I'm just wondering what you tend to see as being barriers in people for like you know why they're not let's say they know what works for them in relationship with whoever but they don't really honor that they don't bring it into their lives 
Mm, yeah, there are a lot of reasons for that. Um, like, no, are you talking about knowing that something is healthy uh, mm -hmm. for you and then choosing still not to do it? Yeah, or yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. Like letting a friend bulldoze you or letting um, a partner, you know, manipulate or whatnot. Yeah, anything like that. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah, I guess you have to come to a point where you're willing to set healthy boundaries. Um, and, uh, you know, the biggest component that's coming to my mind right now is really loving yourself enough to be your own best friend and your own best partner to mm -hmm. set healthy boundaries. And I think it took me years to um, realize I could do that. And then it took me more years after that to learn to do that without anger. Mm, wow. To just very calmly say, um, you know, this behavior, it's not working. Um, let's, let's talk about it or let's try something else. Or, and, and a lot of people don't have a positive reaction to that, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. So, you know, being prepared for that and um, kind of holding them with an attitude of caring and love that whatever response they have, if it's negative, it's based in fear, it's fear-based. Um, so I think that's the biggest part is learning, uh, giving yourself permission to love yourself enough to say no and be okay with it. You aren't doing people any favors by allowing them to get away with uh, behaviors that are, um, that don't work because it hurts them too. Yeah. So Can you explain a little bit more about that? Because that's really interesting. I think it's helpful for someone who might have um, a people-pleasing tendency to almost think of the <laughs> other person in a way, like to use that and harness that, let's say that tendency to actually take that step. Like how does it harm the other person too? Well, it reinforces um, overpowering behavior. So Patricia Evans um, talks about people either learn to meet their needs by overpowering others, or they grow up learning to be mutualistic. I'll help you, you help me. And that's a pretty important distinction. And she said about 50% of the population is one way and 50% is the other. And they live in two different worlds, very different worlds. So if you allow someone to continue bullying or overpowering others, um, ultimately it can be sort of like an addictive behavior, um, to overpower others and eventually they lose all relationships because people will only tolerate that for so long. You can't sustain a relationship indefinitely that way. Um, so if you uh, give them an example of saying no to that and um, it allows them to, you know, reconsider their behavior and maybe practice something different it takes a long time to change and a person who overpowers has to be willing to do that um, or they have to hit rock bottom and not and lose all relationships um, but it just doesn't help them for you to be one of the people that reinforces that that the behaviors that don't work mm -hmm. yeah it almost it, it almost seems to me because i'm thinking of um those with the tendency to be overpowering tend to have um you know on not ton, maybe tons, but you know, some sort of issues of their own, like perhaps having felt overpowered by others in their own past. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like perpetuating mm -hmm. their own, you know, trauma story in a way. And well said, yeah, yeah, 
Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's very interesting. And I, and I just, I do think that it's helpful for some, just depending on how, um, how much of a tendency they have to want to put others before themselves. But um, uh, on that note itself, you know, you'd mentioned building up that, that love for oneself. And of course there's, you know, that's a long journey and it's individual, but how, maybe you can even speak to how you did this and, or how you would recommend others begin to do that. Mm, yeah, that's um, a tricky one. It's something I think we all bump into at different levels, and I think it's a continuous journey. Um, I guess one of the interesting questions they ask in uh, psychology training and social work training, and um, they often ask the students to identify their family of origin messages, like what messages did you receive that were even unspoken from your family of origin? Mm -hmm. And uh, like for me, it was um, not worth, like not worth spending time with, not worth, um, I don't know, just that was just those two words stood out to me as a kid. And I don't think my family of origin or any family of origin really, really means to send those messages. It's more about what you, how you interpret relationships around you when you're young or throughout your life. Like, um, like children can tend to blame themselves if like divorce happens at a certain age. Um, that was just my interpretation as a child because I was the youngest, I was the smallest, you know, whatever. Uh, plus society at that time, you know, I think they valued in the fifties and sixties women, uh, men over women for uh, in a variety of ways, you know, but regardless, that was the core message that I discovered in my training that, um, you know, I needed to, uh, as we become our own parent and our own best friend, um, you change those messages, you change the interpretations, you shed light on them. And um, so, you know, realizing those messages, real, uh, be, becoming aware of your own self-talk, your own automatic thoughts, um, gives you the power to change them. And, and when you change them, it feels a whole lot better. <laughs> so, yeah and then you can take steps that are healthy and good for you and, um, yeah yeah that <clears throat> that definitely makes it makes a lot of sense we have to be aware in order to make change otherwise it's just it's not really possible and I and I imagine those the ways in which um, you know we begin to overcome that which you know were that which we learn about ourselves is varied so it's different for everyone and is there is there any specific things that you've found helpful whether in your own journey or talking to other people um that yeah that's kind of stands out as you know beginning i think the more you practice self-care strategies it kind of snowballs and it, it feels better and better and you then you begin doing it automatically mm -hmm. um but there are different schools of thought. I mean, you can kind of dig in the past and figure out your automatic thoughts um, or, and you can just release uh, things that don't feel good to you and choose things that do feel good to you and do that more and more and make a habit. You really don't have to go back and dig and understand everything. You can just switch your focus and focus on things that feel good to you. So 
you know, people are like, oh, you got to do the work and you got to, and, you know, being a therapist, of course, you know, I've, I've seen that path, that path can work, but there's also a path of just um, in the moment right now, uh, identifying what feels good to you and what doesn't and moving toward and focusing on what feels good to you. You really, and releasing the rest, uh, that might be a better path. And I've seen people be very successful with that as well. Oh my gosh. I, I love that so much. In fact, I, I feel like I recently wrote something very similarly um, in an article. So that really, really resonates with me. It's, it's funny because I think, um, you know, we can almost gravitate towards like more complicated, you know, quote unquote methods for, mm-hmm. for, for healing. And it's almost like, um, almost very simple. Yeah, it doesn't have to be, it, it can just be simple and we don't have to make it so hard on ourselves. And sometimes, I don't know, I wonder if we make it hard almost as a means, not always, but of sometimes almost avoiding the healing. It's almost like there's a part of us mm-hmm. that's like, mm, like, let's go this way and that way and make so many turns. And um, yeah. Well, there is, a, it seems to me, a universal truth that what you look at what you focus on gets bigger. You move towards what you focus on. So just like when we're driving down a road and you're staring at something else out of the road, the car will kind of move toward it. That's just something that happens. So, um, you know, focusing on, and I highlight that in my book a few times, like when we talk about what healthy relationships look at, look like, mm-hmm. I first put, let's focus on what we want them to be and look like. Let's look at that first and get that in our minds um, mm-hmm. before we look at what doesn't work. And in marital therapy, um, of course, couples would come in and they would be like, maybe one of them would be very critical and it just was hurting the relationship. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'd go over the list of what blocks communication, of course, criticisms on there. And then we could say, you know, stop criticizing. That never works. Mm-hmm. But what did work? is let's do active listening instead and let's say the same things in this way you can only do these five things you'll take turns and it felt so awkward it always feels so awkward to them at first but after they do it i say then how did that feel to you and they were like in tears most of the time that felt so good i felt heard i felt understood did they criticize during that conversation not at all Because when you're focusing on doing something else that's uplifting um, to both people, then that those uh, blocking habits, the anger, blame, criticism, denial, those just fall away because they're not focusing on that anymore. They're focusing on doing something else that feels better. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. And how do you, um, if you were to give advice with respect to active listening, because I, I, I really don't think, I think that's a, crucial thing that we need to be taught and probably now more than ever how do you recommend they yeah go from you know almost criticizing in their minds while the other person's speaking to just listening um I agree with you that that's super important and it's so simple and it's so freeing and I'll tell you it's so freeing because the attitude that you take during active listening is one of curiosity not trying to fix or change anything, just trying to understand what's in someone else's mind and being curious about it. So just that attitude change is everything. And it frees you. It frees you from the responsibility of having to fix someone, which we never need to do anyway. 
because they're on their own journey and they are learning their own things. So um, we talk about that's our goal, understanding and um, curiosity. And then I put the list of five things in front of them and I assign this to students. I tell them, I teach this, we practice it. And then I say, now go out into your life and do this with a few people, write down your experience, come back and share it. That's always a very fun mm. assignment and activity when I um, taught therapy in colleges. So it's just five things. It's, um, and this is in the book too, uh, the uh, minimal encouragers where we look at people and we nod and we say, uh-huh, yeah, as they're speaking, people do that naturally. That's not a problem. Mm. Um, and then the second one is uh, reflecting content, saying back what they're saying. We don't do this naturally because it feels a little strange, yeah. but like if someone says, um, oh, I'm excited, I'm going on vacation. Oh, you're going on vacation, mm. you know? Just kind of saying back a little bit of what they're, oh, you're gonna to get to uh, go somewhere fun. You know, just kind of say back what they've said. That's what people love. They feel heard, they feel understood. And it's so easy to do. And then reflecting a feeling. So we don't do this naturally either. It takes practice. Oh, you, so you seem excited. Um, and you don't have to be right. They could be like, no, I'm so angry at work. That's why I'm going. I'm not excited. You know, okay. Oh, so you're angry. You know, it, it doesn't matter. At least you're trying mm -hmm. and they will correct you if you're not accurate. And the fourth thing is open-ended questions. What about that makes you angry? What about that makes you excited? We try to use what and how for open-ended questions. And we don't, we kind of avoid the, the word why. Like, why do you feel that way? It's just a little more ac accusatory sometimes. And then um, opening, uh, asking open-ended question kind of opens up space for them to, to share more about themselves, about their story, and it helps you understand someone else. And then the last thing is um, providing a summary. Sometimes people can share in a way that they feel overwhelmed or they're upset, and, and you as the listener can often kind of sum up what they're saying in maybe one sentence or two words sometimes. Mm. <laughs> and that can be very helpful to the other person too. simplifies things. And that's all it is. Wow. Yeah, that's so helpful. I it's it's kind of miraculous in a way, because it, as you said, it, it is rather simple when you lay out the roadmap like that. And I can imagine it really saves relationships, you know, whatever relationship that is. And it's just, it, it just really kind of blows my mind because almost makes me sad where, you know, people come together and let's just say it's a romantic relationship because that's sort of easier to talk about, but, and they think that, you know, they're doomed or that they're, you know, not, you know, it's just not working, but really it's a skill that they haven't acquired versus, I mean, it might be yes. incompatibility sometimes, but that's, that's a skill. Like that's quite huge in my mind. Yes. And I've had uh, a lot of couples that after they practice that, they're like, yeah, we're good now. We don't, because if you can communicate safely, you can, you can make it through and work through anything. If both people are willing to communicate safely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So let's take it to this. Um, let's say before that, the topic of discerning, like finding, you know, if it's a romantic partner or if it's a friendship like I've been talking to uh, quite a few women lately as well who 
um, are just in a phase in their life where they're sort of shedding friends and they're looking for more adult, like as they sink more into their adult self and like who they really are, they're trying to find uh, just friends, friends that really connect to them that they can be real around. So mm. this conversation of discernment, I think uh, applies to just a few different areas, but I really want to talk to you about it because I do think it's really interesting, like understanding like the people that we come into contact with and, and knowing, really knowing like, you know, if we want to enter into a relationship with them. So how do you, how do you begin to yeah, broach this topic? Yeah, I think that number one thing to think about that you mentioned early on in this conversation is pay attention to how you feel. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know what feels good to you, each person, and you can ask yourself, how do I feel when I'm around that person and when I'm interacting with that person? You know, do I feel drained? Um, do I feel pulled down or do I feel energized and, and supported and interested? Um, you know, and, and being pulled down and drained can be habitual. So if you're switching your habits to self-love, self-care and uh, good feeling thoughts, good feeling relationships, it, you know, it might feel awkward at first, but just giving yourself um, permission to pay attention to your feelings and, how you, and decide how you want to feel. Yeah, that's a really good point. I just wanted to ask you something on that note, because you're right that it can be, you know, habitual, whether we grew up with, you know, a certain relationship with our parents that sort of led us to gravitate towards perhaps sort of unhealthy relationships because they feel familiar. Mm -hmm. Um, I just don't even know sometimes if people are even aware of that. So in a weird way, like we can get addicted to highs and lows. And I, I mean, I, I think I've definitely been there in the past, like um, just kind of feeling like, well, isn't this how they are? Like it, like, I don't know, just when I was young, I just didn't know, I think. And so how does someone just break that habit? Does it come down to just awareness of, you know, you know, this isn't healthy and this is, like healthy means something else or yeah um i think it's being willing to practice something um that's uh different that may feel awkward but honestly um there's a book called breaking the habit of being yourself by Mm -hmm. joe dispenza Mm -hmm. and when i have issued that book to clients who wanted to really change um I've gotten a lot of really good feedback. They'll come back and say, I threw all my other books away because this is it. Mm. And this author, Joe Dispenza, also wrote the book, You Are the Placebo. And it really goes into depth about um, how the body can become addicted to certain thoughts and feelings. Um, And, you know, really breaking the habit of being yourself, as he says, is, uh, you know, just warrants a lot more probably explanation in terms of understanding and practice that we would have time to discuss, but I would definitely throw that book out there for people who want to, to delve into that. Um, but you know, it's, it's practice. It's, it's, you do something for 30, 31 days, you know, it's not going to feel awkward anymore. So it's, it's really about making that decision. This is the kind of life I want. What kind of people would I need in my life to create that? We are so powerful and so creative. 
Um, and then, you know, you, you might take a step back and two steps forward because change, you know, we all know isn't linear. Uh, you go kind of up and down and move in a direction. And really that positive self, gentle, kind, forgiving self-talk is, is key through all of it. What would you say to a child, to your child, if you had one, to encourage them along the way? And, and what would you want for them um, is kind of a way to, you know, spend time with yourself. You have to allow time <clears throat> with yourself to doing things you enjoy. It's, it's really a fun change in focus, um, but it takes, like any relationship, it takes time. You have to spend time with yourself and become your own parent, your own best friend. And <clears throat> But if you want to understand the physiological element to it, I, you know, it's probably better explained by that man. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, his... Uh, his books, You Are the Placebo and Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself are pretty phenomenal. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, it, you're, you're, you're so right on with this spending time with oneself. And I, I think this is, that, that in and of itself can be a challenge for some people who, um, I don't know, like even, I was going to say more extroverted, but it's not even true because I've certainly known many people who identify as introverted but still feel like um that that process of just really being with themselves and and again if that has meant that they've really had to shed people from their life because they don't they don't fit or they they're not really serving them well or they're not the people that they want to be it can feel lonely and hmm? yeah, that can be, I've just, I've really seen that lately with, um, with a few, a few people and it's, yeah, it's, it's just a little bit of a, a challenge. Do you ever see that come up with any, I don't know if people you work with or, uh, or students or anything like that? Sure. Like <clears throat> setting boundaries to the point where <clears throat> you're kind of afraid to be interact with really much of anyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I like to think of it in levels. Like we have that inner circle of friends, that friends and family that we feel really safe with and we share a lot with. And you might have one or two people in your life, if you're lucky, that are in that circle. Mm -hmm. And then a little bit further out from that circle, you know, there are acquaintances, there are people you interact with at another level, you know, and then, and you keep going out in circles until you have, you know, the wide world public. Um, so if you think of it like that, not everybody's meant to be you know, you're not meant to be like super close with, with, um, you know, lots and lots of people. I mean, you could be, it, everybody's so different and so unique. You just have to do what feels good to you. But, um, I, so I, some people prefer, um, their own company and they don't like lots of relationships and, and don't like close ones maybe because they've been hurt or maybe, you know, who knows why, uh, everybody's such a, unique, beautiful mystery. But, um, and, you know, and that's again, it, what, what makes it hard to generalize because different things work for different people and different things work for different people at different times in their lives. Mm. You know, I've, I've had times where I had lots of friends and was very in groups and very active. And then I've had quieter times in my life, you know, where I just had a couple of people or I had more alone time. Um, you know, you get to people get to decide on their own what works and 
if you're that feeling of loneliness is there for a reason if people are mm -hmm. feeling it that's a sign uh, that they need to reach out and connect with somebody yeah yeah I, I love how you put that it's all so um you just make it seem and it is like it is quite um logical simple when you boil these things down and um but i just love the way that you sort of outline everything because you know, you say, okay, you're feeling lonely, reach out to people. And it's almost like sometimes, I don't know, we can get in our own way with things. Or as we said earlier, we can overcomplicate things and, and prevent ourselves. Kind of overthink it. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Because our bodies are designed and our thought, uh, our feelings to let us know, to guide us. Mm -hmm. And so you have to be willing to um, be in touch with your feelings and, and be willing to care about how you feel, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I do love that you said that. I noticed, and I think most people are rather aware of this, but I've noticed with men, uh, they tend on, like the general side, at least this might be a stereotype, but they tend to struggle more with um, allowing their feelings to guide them. Like they tend to question them more, just feel like, no, like let me power through that. I don't know if you ever work with men, but if there are men listening, how do you speak to them with respect to that? Well, I've done a lot of work um, with veterans mm -hmm. and, um, you know, in the, uh, in their service, of course, they're, they often kind of joke around and say, well, we weren't issued feelings, you know, we were mm -hmm. told to ignore them. And, um, you know, they had a lot of times where they did were instructed to and, and had to ignore their feelings and uh, do what they were you know told to do. So I get to work with that a lot. And um, sometimes that falls in the realm of what we call moral injury, you know, where people do things that are really against their belief system. And that's a healing process. So um, I guess there's an element of um, uh, forgiveness and um, self-forgiveness, forgiveness toward the world and everyone in it. And, you know, I, I'm getting a little off track from your question, but I, while I'm thinking of it, um, I do like that concept of um, when people come into your lives, when people come into your life asking that yourself saying, you know, that was my teacher. That person was my teacher. What did I learn? Mm. And, um, and then kind of thank them for, thank you for being willing, um, to be part of my learning mm -hmm. in this life, you know? So <clears throat> we have all these experiences, uh, men, women that don't feel good times where we betrayed ourselves and not listened to our feelings or, not been kind to ourselves or not interpreted things in a kind way toward ourselves and others. <clears throat> and we're all going to bump into that. So I think that element of forgiveness and uh, it just, it plays a role. And men, of course, you know, they're taught differently in society. We get different societal messages. We all know this, especially in my generation, you know, it was really big, you know, the teaching that, you know, men are supposed to cry and, um, and then, and that women are very emotional. And of course the studies show that there is not a huge difference between genders in that, in that area. There's 
uh, a bigger difference within genders than between genders. So we were kind of sold um, and advertised some misinformation, but, but genders are uh, receive different messages in our society and, and we just kind of have to take that with a grain of salt and allow ourselves to be individuals uh, to be who we are and you know we don't we don't have to fall in line with uh, what the public or uh, says we are supposed to be or have to be you know we've I think that's one of the big um, successes of the current generation is I think they can see through that and pass that a lot better than my generation. So. Yeah, that's, that's actually very illuminating just to hear that. I, I mean, it shouldn't be surprising, but it is nice to hear in a way that there isn't really a difference in the genders. It just has a lot about how easily almost programmed we are by society because you would think that there is quite a difference just due to what we see in the world. You know, there are um, some people, you know, who think so, and there are books written about that, but I just, you know, I remember my professors in school said that um, they did a meta-analysis of all the st uh, studies that were about gender differences, and there were really only, you know, three or four um, real significant differences between genders, and it was more about, you know, physical strength than, um, than other things, you know, like you know, I think one of them is that generally they can throw further. You know, there are of course some women who can throw as far, but mm -hmm. things like that. So there really is very little difference between genders. Yeah, that's yeah. It's just again, it's great to hear that, and just it, it grants more permission. Not that not that it's needed, but I think mm -hmm. sometimes you know men can have the feeling that they almost need they need that they need to hear that. So that. Yeah, it's good to hear. And uh, I know you've been, you know, on quite a bit of your own journey. I just wanted to ask, you know, without delving into that, because we don't quite have the time, but what what is something that you've learned or has, I don't know, surprised you or just something that stands out to you that you've, you know, you've learned on this path of, you know, coming into loving yourself and um, yeah, just really growing in this really beautiful way. Oh, that's a good question. Um, hmm. Well, I, the more I grow in that direction of making healthy decisions in terms of relationships and taking responsibility for choosing my own thoughts and creating a life I love, it, it's just a lot more fun. <laughs> that is the goal it just makes life more fun and you know you see people around you they're stressed out they're worried you know they have all this news that they're working with this, uh, people who are not uh, and their highest level of wellness you know at a hospital and I, um, I feel really happy and I'm having fun and sometimes people are like, well, how are you so happy? Why are you smiling? You know, mm -hmm. so um, that feels good to me. It makes me kind of realize um, that how powerful we are in choosing our own thoughts, attitudes, and uh, how we can just really create the life that we want, regardless of where we are. Mm 
and what we are doing. And to me, that's very freeing. Uh, it's very freeing to me. I'm surprised. I never would have thought 30 years ago that I would be in this place where I could very calmly and kindly set a boundary with someone else uh, and have that difficult discussion with love and forgiveness. Um, that is extremely, it feels very empowering to me. Um, I guess I didn't realize, even as I'm talking about it now, how long, how much of my life I just felt uh, like, not a victim, but sort of powerless as a woman in society. You know, growing up in the 50s and 60s, you know, it just, I didn't realize, and I definitely wasn't told um, that the level of empowerment and choices that I would have. I guess, you know, I, I'm really discovering this as you ask and as I'm saying it, but that's probably been um, the most rewarding and surprising discovery. I really didn't realize to what extent I could create my life in an in a enjoyable way. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so beautiful. It's so inspiring, too, because I, I think that's very normal like I think most of us just we don't we don't know or we can't even imagine you know the the depths of the the power that we really hold inside of ourselves and so that just hearing that from you is yeah it's very inspiring to hear and I guess the last thing I just wanted to ask you because you know your you know the title of your book being what it is self-care and relationships how at this point in time, or just looking back on what's been really powerful for you or for clients, you know, what forms of self-care really resonate with you and just anything that you want to share that might serve as inspiration for someone who's looking to incorporate more self-care into their life? What forms of self-care? Yeah. yeah, I think um, my chapter on that, you kind of uh, look at different categories that you can choose something to do in that area. Um, so even the act of making a self-care plan, uh, is, is huge. I, I guess I focus more on the, um, like you can choose things in, of course, in the physical uh, realm or the mental. Um, I focus more on listening to speakers and, uh, choosing thoughts. I think the thoughts that you choose are, uh, really dictate a lot of your life um, physically and in every way, really. Um, so I choose, tend to choose self-care strategies that focus on that. Like, for example, I like, um, oh, what is that book? It's um, Ask and It Is Given by Abraham Hicks. She has like 20 processes in there uh, that you can practice every day. So uh, there are some therapists that I, we practice those processes and then share about them. But like one of them, they're so simple. Like one, and I did it the other day with one of the social workers. We, we chose a day to only point out things that we like. And we'd say, oh, I like that. Oh, I like that. I like the way they did that. I like just one day of pointing out only things that you like and appreciate. Just simple things like that, but they just get your mind practicing in that direction of what feels good. Yeah, I, I love that. It reminds me a little bit of the, um, 
I don't know, what's it called? But like basically, uh, compl- no, it's, it's the opposite synthesis, almost like the no complaining diet, if you will, like just not yes. just spending a day not doing that. It's pretty revolutionary because you just don't realize until, until you come to that. It's like, wow, I thought I was a pretty positive person, but here I am complaining, you know, mm. a few times a day at least. <laughs> yes, wow. the, there's a book, The Complaint Free World, it talks about that uh, too. And you put a bracelet on and every time you complain, you put it to the other side and, you know, seeing how long you can go throughout a day appreciating instead of complaining, see how long you can go without complaining. You're right. It's, it's shocking to, you know, realize, oh, it's only 10 in the morning and I didn't even make it past like 1030. So Mm -hmm. yeah, that seems to be kind of a habit too. Yeah. Yeah. It just, yeah, it really goes to show again, as you were saying with respect to like the power that we have, it's just the power of our thoughts because we're, in a way, priming our minds with the, you know, negativity that is complaining and to, to think and to view the world and just the world in you know, such a way. I know you wanted to talk about chapter four a little, and I know we're probably running short of time, but something's coming up for me in that yeah, realm. Um, please. Uh, there's, uh, you know, there is kind of one scripture that says, be as innocent as lambs and wise as uh, serpents or wise as wolves. I, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not can't can quote the Bible completely, <laughs> but um, but uh, there is that aspect of <clears throat> choosing safe people. If you can still stay positive and focus on the good in the world and still be aware <clears throat> of things that might not be safe or might not be healthy, and uh, I'm thinking of when I did. Uh, couples therapy for years, the most common complaint that I would hear is that the feeling that they had been tricked, like that person tricked me. They said they were going to be like this. They said they were like Mm -hmm. this. They acted like this and they changed and they changed. And um, so if I had a dime for every time I heard Mm -hmm. they tricked me, you know, it would be amazing, you know, surprising. But um, so on that note, you know, I think it's important that we really be willing to see what's, what's really there, because we are so prone to kind of have this fantasy in our minds. And it just kind of expect them to live up to that. Um, Some people go into relationships expecting someone to change. But you know, you, it would be better if you expected when expecting them to never change because that might be more accurate. But one thing that um, Patricia Evans says, and I thought this is so interesting and worth mentioning, mm-hmm. that one of the reasons for that, she said, before someone overpowers you, um, she said, they have to feel like you are an extension uh, of themselves. So they may not like when, when you're dating or when you're just sort of friends, uh, you know, a little bit, uh, you know, applying this to friendships. Mm-hmm. Um, people don't feel like they have the right. Like you see strangers on the street. You're like, they're nicer to me than my, you know, boyfriend or friend. Yeah. Because they don't feel like they have the right because they don't know you that well. But I've seen people date for four and five years and then get married and everything changes because one of the, the overpowering persons like, well, now I own you. Now you're mm-hmm. mine. Now I have the right. So when, when 
people feel like they have the right to overpower when you're the spouse or the child or the student or the, uh, the employee, well, then they have the right to, they have to, she said, two things have to be in place before someone overpowers you. They have to see you as an extension of themselves and they have to feel like they think or know better than you. Wow. Those two things she said are always in place when someone overpowers. Wow. So, and how do you, how do you, um, because that, I think that's, um, that could be quite a fear of, you know, many people's, oh my God, like what if that happens to me? How do, how do you recognize that from the outset? Like, are there red flags that you can look for that might indicate someone is of that nature? Yeah, you have to be willing to see what's really there. Um, but here, you know, in, it's often described like putting a frog in tepid water. It's not very hot. And if you gradually turn up the water, the frog will stay in there and will cook. But if you turn it up really fast, the, the frog jumps out. Mm -hmm. And so you hear that analogy a lot for abusive relationships or unhealthy relationships that you get pulled in. Because And people who are good at this, they know how to pull you in. I don't know if y'all watch the stuff on Netflix, like Worst Roommate Ever or Dirty John Betty or, mm -hmm. you know, just we've all seen those, those, uh, uh, even the ba bad vegan, you know, they're out all the time, like on Netflix, but you watch them and you're like, what I have seen or, or tender swindler, you know, yeah, yeah. it's easy to watch and go, well, I would have, you know, why didn't they figure that out there? But you, you're, you get in a relationship and it's harder to see. And that's where I think we really, it's helpful to rely on friends and family, the, the close relationships that you've had over time of people who truly care about you. Um, let them help, let them, you know, how do they see this person? Um, you know, just being willing to listen to the, you know, what they tell you about that person in the relationship too. And I think being willing to make a relationship change, like let's say you did date someone for four years and you got married and they completely changed and they were abusive. Be willing to make a change. You don't have to, like in my generation, you couldn't really like leave a relationship. It was wrong. It was, uh, you know, it was immoral. It was whatever. I mean, none of us go into relationships wanting to, that to happen, but, uh, you know, you have to be willing to make a change and be your own best friend and supporter and forgive yourself and forgive them, but don't stay there forever just to prove a point. Um, you know, or maybe just, set a role or a boundary and say, I'm going to move out for a week or two till we figure this out until I feel safe. I mean, you just have to be willing to say no mm. to some things. And there was a generation where we didn't even have that option. Now we have options, you know, we have choices. So yeah. we got to yeah. hold everyone accountable and responsible and they'll feel better for it. We'll all feel better for it. But, yeah. yeah, you're, you're definitely right. And of course, people, you know, fear gets in the way a lot of the time. But I mean, in the end, it is, it is a choice like you, you've been able to make that point quite simply and clearly throughout this conversation. Um, so I just hope that, you know, people can take that and just, you know, if they need it to apply. there's it. 
when you apply that at work, you know, people also, I want them to understand that there's fallout. When you communicate about healthy boundaries in a workplace, there are power differentials. You know, you could lose your job. You could get um, moved to the office with no windows. I mean, who knows? Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have to weigh the consequences of, of setting boundaries and communicating um, in every situation. Of course, when you make a big relationship change in an abusive relationship, and it's been that way for a while, uh, it's dangerous. That's mm -hmm. when people get hurt in relationships, when they first try to get out of an abusive relationship. That's a dangerous time. Mm -hmm. um, so we have to um, think about that too. Then when, when we're communicating boundaries and making changes in relationships, um, it can be dangerous. And so we have to think about that and make a, a, a plan and um, there's that uh, Netflix show called Made out right now, and oh, yeah. I think they did a pretty good job of, you know, showing some of the struggles in, uh, in uh, choosing healthy relationships and some of the things that can happen and how uh, people tend to go back to those relationships an average of seven or eight times before they actually get out. Wow. So catching, catching these early and being willing to be aware of these things early, it's like dropping ashes on your arm, you know, flick them off before they burn. Don't, don't get in a relationship for 13 years and go, darn, this is going to be hard to get out of, you know? Mm -hmm. So the quicker yeah. you could uh, navigate, the better. But we have so much more education about it now. So I think, I think it's people are doing better about that now. Yeah, and we have resources. I mean, even, yeah. even if, even if that that first step is you know google that's pretty normal i would i would imagine um yeah. to find the help that you need and that's available to you in your region mm -hmm. your city your town right and most of us deal with lesser versions of boundaries but um you get kind of pulled in and then you figure it out when you figure it out it's it's still a a joyous, um, privileged journey to be here learning and to love yourself and others. That's kind of, to me, the, the basic mm -hmm. goal. Yeah. <laughs> Have yeah. fun. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, how much you learn about yourself when going through you know, a, a trying time, it's like 10x or 100x what you might learn about yourself in a more, um, you know, non-challenging time. So there's certainly a silver yeah. lining. I had to make a big relationship change once and uh, after being in that relationship for 13 years, and it was probably the hardest thing I ever did. And I was pretty sure I was going to starve and die when I did it. And I was pretty surprised when I didn't starve and die. Mm -hmm. um, but it changed, I changed my whole belief system. It changed everything because I thought I was doing everything exactly right and it still didn't work. And so, but I remember two things. I remember that people said to me that were really turning points for me. I went to one counselor and I described what I wanted, you know, in terms of a partner, a life partner. And she said, you know, she said, you can have all of that. That's all reasonable, what you're asking. She mm -hmm. said, but not with him. He can't do it. He can't do that. 
that was one of them. And then the other one I called uh, one of my friends and she wasn't home and her mom answered. And uh, we were talking a little bit and I said, you know, I just, I don't want this relationship to end. I want to keep working at it. It's just, I wasn't taught to, to quit, you know? And she goes, well, Julie, she goes, that's okay. You, you just keep coming back as many times as you want until you're sure. And something about that sentence, I went, oh, why would I do that? Why would I keep going back? <laughs> How am I not sure now? So those two sentences. Those are powerful. Was the second one, was the, um, was the intent to make you sort of aware of that? Or was it? Um... I don't know. I think she was just, I, she was the kindest person ever. And I think she was like, offering me freedom of that's okay you know if you need to come back 10 times to be sure that's okay mm -hmm. but something about giving me permission to do that made me realize I don't want to do that <laughs> wow that's interesting I wonder if it plays to I don't know because you'd mentioned earlier like some many of us have this desire to sort of prove a point though we don't really know who we're proving it to Right. <laughs> Maybe it's, it kind of dissolves that too, in a way. Like, yeah, I was trying to be, you know, good. I grew up in the church and I was trying to be the good, you know, God for God. And, you know, that's who I was trying to please. But, mm -hmm. you know, now in the wisdom I have now, um, you know, God, as I understand, would rather I take good care of myself because that's mm -hmm. how I bring the best gift to the world. <laughs> Yeah, so, 100%. Anyway. Yeah, it's it's hard, I think, when you have religion in there. I think a lot of people, especially yeah. especially yes. in your generation, I know, especially of certain, it might, my culture is Italian, so it's, it's. I mean, my dad's side anyway, so it's, I know it's huge on his, yes. his side of the family. Yeah. Yes, I got, my religion got pared down when I left that relationship to God is love, God's love is for everyone, love and don't worry. That's all I had. And that's, that was, it got um, morphed into that sentence. And that's what I kept <laughs> out of all of it. <laughs> I love that. I, I've just known too many people, actually, not just in your, like, actually, I'm thinking of two people in my, like, quite close to my own age who have just really been through it with religion, really kind of yeah. felt like they just led just completely off beaten path in, in the sense that it wasn't really who they were and mm -hmm. kind of lost themselves in trying to be this angel and yeah, yeah. so it's sure with, with, with religion yeah yeah that can be an ab abusive relationship in itself and mm -hmm. I have definitely worked with clients where that was um, a focus to to re um, reinterpret that you know it, when there's a certain stage in life where we, uh, it's developmental task, natural developmental task to sort through the teachings that you want to keep um, and the teachings that you want to let go, you know, from school and parents and society. I mean, that's a natural developmental task that we all bump into. Yeah. That's, that's true. And I, and I love, again, just bringing it back to your thing with like, it's a choice. Cause I think, Sometimes people can get um, caught up in, well, my family, you know, views things one way and is this creating drama to, to leave mm -hmm. that and to kind of forge my own path. 
but it's your life. Yeah, a healthy level of differentiation where we want interdependence. We want, we don't want dependence, Mm. you know, on people. We want healthy interdependence and enough differentiation that we can be ourselves because, um, you know, that's the gift we bring to the world is that unique self. So yeah, 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 absolutely. And there's space for that. Um, There's space for different religions within a family, within a relationship. Uh, Definitely. If we were all the same, it would be very boring. And it's, I bump into that working with people at end of life, you know, Um, it's interesting because at end of life, people talk about relationships and they have their family of choice around them. Mm. You know, it's not always their biological family. And then, you know, their spiritual beliefs um, are very, can be very different. Um, But again, you have to listen to your feelings and choose the ones that, that are supportive and that feel good to you. And so we accommodate all kinds of, um, we support all kinds of belief systems. It is, but it's interesting what comes up at end of life and life reviews. Uh, relationships do play an important part of learning. Um, what you don't hear coming up is things and money. Nobody ever seems to talk about that at the end, but they do talk about people and relationships. So. Yeah, what an what an absolutely um, fascinating you know role that you do play there, just because you do get so well acquainted almost with uh, sort of existential um, you know mm-hmm. questions just on the daily, just because of the cohort of people that you are in contact with. It's actually really it must be really um, it must just give you so much insight and very grounding. I can imagine. Yeah, it's very rewarding. And that's why I added that chapter in here too about uh, managing grief when relationships change, because um, you've probably heard that that can be uh, just as stressful as a death, you know, a divorce or whatever, a big relationship change. And the feelings that come around naturally as a healing process are very similar. So I did um, put that in there. And then the last chapter is examples of that uh, stories that I heard um, in therapy that people talk about relationship challenges and things that they've learned. And, uh, you know, you see a lot of great relationships too. Mm. So yeah, it was fun to write. I think it was a book that I'd wished that I'd had in my twenties probably. So, yeah. So, I mean, so healing to, to read examples of other people to know your own, you know, quote unquote issues are not your, like they're common and you're mm-hmm. not alone. Your relationship's not alone. And so I think it's, yeah, it's really beautiful that you included that as well at the end there. Well, thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for, for being here. Can you just let us know, you know, where your book can be found and any other, you know, tidbits of information regarding yourself or your book? Better? Yeah. Well, it's, um, it can be found on Amazon and uh, also uh, through Balboa Press. I think people sometimes order it through that. But um, yeah, that's, I love to talk about the, this uh, concept and of self in relationship and um, healthy choices. It's, I like going to high schools too and um, sometimes people will ask me to talk to their uh, 
a family member because uh, they're bumping into these kinds of experiences. So it's just something that comes really easy to me that I think is very rewarding. And, mm. and uh, it was just a fun book to write. I just, I thought it might be useful. Thank you so much for joining us on the North Star podcast. I am so grateful for your time and your presence. If you want to chime in on the conversation, you can send me a DM at Mac Castro on Instagram. I mean it when I say that I'm really always happy to hear from you, be it with regards to your insights gleaned from this episode or with regard to your own unfolding journey at large. I do believe that we each have our own North Star and it's our duty to do the inner work to get to know ourselves so that we can live in harmony with our souls, carry out our calling, and serve others with the gifts we have each been uniquely blessed with in this lifetime. Thank you again for joining us and I'll see you next time.